You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Another day, another another episode. <laughs> another day, another dollar, but not really. <laughs> but kind of. Uh, yeah, kind of. Our patrons, our patrons, our patrons, in there. our wonderful patrons. We just had a couple people up their subscription, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. That's very helpful during this time, and um, we have an oh, go to like plugging this now. Go to your queer story on Facebook, um, and you can always email us. But we're having a form now mm-hmm. that you can fill out for the LGBTQ support group. So if you go there and you fill it out, then um, you can be put on our official list, and you can be sent the new link every week. And then you can also help us to decide the best day and time to have yeah. a support group. So there you yeah. go. You yeah. Can- be involved in the polling and future of the group if you it's something you want to do and partake in. Exactly. And it really helps us. And then we'll have an ongoing sign-up sheet every week so I know when people are, are showing up and when they're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, we've had groups, but, like, this week nobody signed up. So I'm like, okay. So, like, next week, you know, we'll just have people sign up, um, and then we'll have an ongoing, like, thing that you can check in real quick and just say that you want to be there or not i'm doing really better at my google forms um, and the everything google form, i was very impressed with yeah do you like that it was yeah. really good you had even a header image which I was did. the background <laughs> of the podcast so yeah. i was like wow evan is stepping it up look stepping very impressed up. actually yes yeah, so that's uh, good yeah but yeah speaking of that mm-hmm. um Bad transition, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> okay, what is I'm falling about? apart Tell today. Me. We just finished <laughs> recording the last episode of the IFB, which we put a lot of our soul into, and yeah. now I'm, oh my God. I'm out of my coffee, spilling my coffee mm-hmm. juice everywhere, the liquid of the ice, the water, if you yes. will. <laughs> The liquid of the ice. Some call it the water, but I call it the liquid of the ice. <laughs> That's where my mental state's at right now. Um, but yeah, welcome back. Yeah. Uh, I promise I'll get better as the episode goes on. I'll, I'll retain my, I'll regain my mental clarity. Well, it's a short episode, so you better get your shit together quick. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that much time, Paul. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you like us, if you like what you listen to, if you want to support queer history, mm-hmm. if you want to support queer artists, especially during times like this, you can check us out on Patreon. We post exclusive content for as low as $3 there. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, three bucks, you're not going to miss it. Yep. And and all your Patreon money goes to supporting our queer support group, our podcast, our website, and the Queer Digest uh, website. Yes, there's a lot of things that we are doing to incorporate and make 
queer content, very accessible to people. Yes. Um, and we are trying to help as many people as we can. And I know you might think, I don't want to go on there and just donate $3 because that's $3 and that I can't give more than that. But realistically, $3 times tons of patrons like if, if everybody we listen <laughs> to saying, yeah. if times tons of people <laughs> if everybody we that listened to the podcast joined us on patreon and even just did one dollar yeah i mean it's power in numbers it's the way churches run yeah if you just type 10 percent of your income to you, your queer story patron we could really take off <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get a cult going and that's ultimately our goal at the um, end of the day well at the end of the day we have the queer agenda and that is to turn every person queer as we know and we are partnering with the satanic temple mm -hmm. um they're going to do all they are going to do pink masses on all of our enemies mm -hmm. um yeah. to turn all their ancestors gay yep and you know what that's just how we're doing it that's just and that's that's the truth this is the hard truth so go and report on it because this is what we are here to do <laughs> so thank you for supporting our cause yeah plot twist they just cut that out of the podcast and they play that to their <laughs> yeah cult, I, I to hope the, they do to the IFB sermons <laughs> like, and if you want proof that the LGBTQ are trying to come here for your children here it is and they're gonna be like gasp shock <gasps> <laughs> So, yeah, um, but no, we really do appreciate our patrons and I hope everyone that's listening appreciates our patrons because they are the reason that you get to hear our Without sweet the patrons, voices. you wouldn't hear this podcast. You get to hear diddly shit. It's the truth. Yeah, so we appreciate it. Um, once we have a little more money in the bank, we're going to be soundproofing this room so we don't have to hear my children <laughs> screaming in the background. But hey, until then, you get what you get. Yeah, they they were really good today. Knock on wood. Yep, yep. Because um. we've, we've learned to... Um, synchronized tablet time with recording time. Mm -hmm. And that is our only saving salvation. I also brought them a dozen donuts today and I told them they could have them if they were quiet. <laughs> so that may have helped yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do it. You got to bribe and do whatever you want. I just love that before I had kids, I wasn't really not like this because I knew that kids were... I love them, but little they're little motherfuckers. And <laughs> my wife was so like, when I have kids, they're going to do this. When I have kids, they're going to eat what we, we make and they're going to do what we do. And then, and then we are at dinner and she's like, just have one bite, please. Just have one bite of the food and you can leave this table. And an hour later, we're waiting for that one bite of food. So... That's that's parenthood, folks. <laughs> it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. I don't know what it is. I don't know what makes it wonderful because I think it's the reward of having to work so hard, and then when it finally happens, you're like, <sighs> it's like I don't know. It's like I don't know. Or an, just, an addiction to the not an addiction. That's the wrong. Word, I think but, I think children are an addiction because sometimes I'm like, this is insanity. Why am I? This is this makes no sense. But then. You just want to do it. Like I get done with work and I want to hang out with my kids. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make sense because it's exhausting. But I do. Yeah, there you go. Now you know, kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're going to listen back and just be like, Evan is an asshole. <laughs> well, yeah. If you didn't know that. <laughs> Anyways, so. Yes. Today, mm -hmm. we are finally touching upon queer culture in the Pacific Islands. Yes. Specifically discussing the Hawaiian islands and the variance in expression and openness today from island to island. But before we begin, we want to lend credit to two of our main sources. A paper written by Professor Eliardo Zingalini. Zingalini. And yeah, I, I just right. said Zingalini. that. I just rolled off my tongue. Probably <laughs> was wrong. I'm sorry. And it was published by the University of Reading School of Law. 
and it's actually our main source for this episode. And we have linked the article on our script along with the free access PDF for anyone who's interested. We also want to praise the work of Eleanor Kleber, a university specialist librarian and former intern, De Kalili, De Kalie. There's a way you say it, and I've heard because, David. Yeah, Hawaiian speaks. So yeah, Kalili, like it's Kali'i. Like, Kali'i, I think. Sorry, I'm really being offensive today <laughs> to whoever this is. You get De, the last half of the name, McKenzie. McKenzie, <laughs> <laughs> who both compiled queer Pacific Island resources for the University of Hawaii at Manoa and made those resources public to us and the rest of the world. Yes, and so it's also we'll say it again at the end of the script, and it's linked in our script. But um, that so that queer resource list for Hawaii, um, uh, it not only has a glossary of like queer Hawaiian terms, but it also has um, all like resources that help serve uh, queer Hawaiians and also queer Pacific Islanders. So like the queer Pacific Islanders, that's made up a lot of islands. Hawaii is included in that, right. but there's others. So, and like we said, this will be a shorter episode today, but we did have been wanting to touch on this topic for a long time. So that's what we're doing. Um, in order to understand queer Hawaiian culture today, we must understand the past history along with the colonization and oppression of Hawaii. The islands currently known as the state of Hawaii were first settled by Polynesians sometime in the first millennia AD. There has been a wide range of dates suggested from as early as 300 AD to as late as 800 AD. And due to the nature of the many islands, it is not easy to establish when settlements first came into being. Yet by the year 1200, there was a thriving society complete with social orders, social classes, and a hierarchy of authority. And by the 16th century, natives had moved inland, filling more than just the outskirts of the islands and spreading throughout the vast countrysides. The Hawaiian religion was central to government for the majority of Hawaii's existence before the 1800s. For at least 1,000 years, spiritual leaders ruled side by side with the kings and chiefs of villages and islands. Various tribes worshipped a variety of gods while creating sacred ceremonies and adopting rules and tradition to ple- traditions to please the gods. This was common in most of the Pacific Islands dating back for millennia, and many of Hawaii's religious practices were brought by Polynesian settlers when they arrived and populated the islands. And like the others, Hawaii's religion was based in a reverence for nature and the gods within and about rather than the European concept of separation between God and humanity. As writer Michael Keone Dudley stated in Hawaii Nation, Man, Gods, and Nature, in the dominant current of Western thought, there is a fundamental separation between humanity and divinity. In many other cultures, however, such differences between human and divine do not exist. Some people have no concept of a supreme being or creator God who is by nature other than his creation. They do, however, claim to experience a spirit world in which beings more powerful than they are concerned for them and can be called upon for help, which I think is a very distinct difference and Mm -hmm. a concept that people don't understand. Yeah. Well, that's how especially white people and white civilizations, European, Western, have been able to weaponize God because Mm -hmm. they separate God from humanity and they make God very judgmental and very oppressive and like... This is a God that is above you, that is greater than you, and that you know submit. you have to submit to this God. Mm-hmm. Whereas in most native societies, um, you just 
God is you and God is around you. And yes, you can call for supplication, but there is not this sense of like, there's going to be impending doom or judgment or weaponized against you. Um, and I just, I felt like it was very interesting how it split up because that is, that is exactly when we see white missionaries come to Hawaii, that we start to see the oppression come in because Mm -hmm. now God is, I'm not, you and I are not gods. This other thing is a God and I speak for that God. And so you have to do what I say because I'm speaking for that. Right. And you can't speak to them. So you have no way of confronting me or uh, disputing me. Exactly. And I don't have to see you as equal to me because you and I are not gods. I serve this God. This God has ordained me. And so I am above you. Right. Whereas when you believe that God is all around us, you cannot put one person above another. Right. A part of this group of spiritual leaders were then known as the Mahu. The uh, these were those who existed between genders, were considered a third gender, or who crossed genders. What we would call today transgender. Mm-hmm. And what's important here is because this was there were not the terms that we have today. So as we talk a lot in history, you cannot use today's terms to define what what this is. So you, a person might see themselves as an other gender or a third gender, or they might just see themselves as like. A, what we consider transgender today of like, I was assigned this sex, but really this is my Mm -hmm. gender identity. We want to pause here and reference why we have used the term Mahu. As we will discuss in a moment, Mahu was later turned into a derogative term and there has been controversy around the use of the word today. However, the word was not born out of bias or hate. It was once a very noble term that was later derided by closed-minded and queer-phobic individuals. So for the sake of honoring those who once proudly identified as Mahu, we will use this word when referencing the sacred role of the past. But later, we will also present the more common and preferred labels of today. Um, And before we go on, I just want to comment that David lived in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. and he actually knew several people who were identified as Mahus. Yeah. And he said that they lived very comfortably. Um, And he said, unlike... hmm, How can I say this? Because I don't want to say that when I refer to American transgender individuals, I mean people who are completely passing and you have to be passing to be transgender. Mm-hmm. But he would say that the way that people who identified as Mahus lived, at least the ones that he knew, they were... It's hard because I'm trying to take two different worlds yeah, and make a, cultures, a, coala- yeah. a, co- a comparison. Yeah. yeah, correlation. But he would basically say that these were people who was who were born with male features who presented very feminine mm-hmm. but they wouldn't always be fully feminine they would be yeah. a third gender yeah exactly and they, they walked those lines yeah and you know he said that well what he said when he was there which maybe wasn't necessarily truly the cultural case but he said that people would be proud to be mahu yeah but I, again, it just depends maybe on the situation, the, the location, who you're okay using those words with. I don't know. Yeah, I think that in, in terms of how words have like evolved, I would relate it to queer. Not that the actual word mahu is very different than the term queer. They don't mean the same things. Mm-hmm. But in queer, when you read in like old books of where the word queer came from, because people like the, uh, the well of loneliness, right? Uh, oftentimes Radcliffe Hall referred to herself as queer. I'm a queer person. And, and people were like, oh, you're a queer. That's a queer fellow. And they would say, oh, I am a queer fellow. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much that they would identify and say, I am queer, but it was a term they used to describe themselves. And then 
that got used to become a derogative term. So then around you get to like the 60s, the 70s, especially the 80s, that's used as a very derogative term. Mm-hmm. And people that lived in that are still offended by the term mm-hmm. queer. They're still actually, traumatized by it. I was just going to say, actually, my mom shared something about the podcast and mm-hmm. an older gay man commented on it. And he said, I'm not a queer. I'll never identify as queer, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm sorry that you're offended by the title. However, the point is to reclaim the word and it's also used to identify the community as a whole and make sure everybody feels accepted by it. And I understand you grew up in a time where it was used against you. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but that's not what the word means today. The word today is, is more broad and it's more accepting. That's Mm -hmm. why we were trying to name the the podcast. We went with it and we knew that there were going to be some pushback, but we just felt that in order to include everyone, it was the best way to do it. And so, um, and so Mahu is even more because it is steeped in a cultural, like it was, it, that was an honor to be Mahu. Mm-hmm. And Royalty so, and um, shamans, I believe. And or, yeah, yeah, healers, leaders, yeah. spiritual leaders. Exactly. So that was an honor to be Mahu. Mm-hmm. So it's not like that word was created to deride a group of people. It was an honor and people who had that would have proudly had kept mm-hmm. that title. And then, like you said, there are people today that proudly have that title. Mm-hmm. So there are some that, again, they grew up in a time where it was used against them and it might be triggering to them. But that does the word itself to say that the word is completely offensive is not true. Mm-hmm. In fact, one, the, the strongest comment that I found against the Torah Nuahu was by a... Um, a, a Christian who was oh, surprised, yeah, who was arguing that you know it's a it's a derogative term, and I thought, oh, maybe this is someone who's mahu, and they're talking about that. But they were like the the mahu are sodomites and homosexuals, mm-hmm. and they went into a rant. I wish I could have included it in here, but I didn't. But you know, we don't need to hear that. We just covered the IFP <laughs> for three episodes. So, anyways, um, uh, go ahead. I think this is you. Yep. Yeah. In an oral history recorded by Andrew Matzner, one participant explained the mahu as such. Mahu were particularly respected as teachers, usually of hula dancers and chant. In pre-contact times, Mahu performed the roles of goddesses and hula dances that took place in temples, which were off-limits to women. Mahu were also valued as the keepers of cultural traditions, such as the passing down of genealogies. Traditionally, parents would ask Mahu to name their children. Which I think is, this is going to be a lot of sidebarring, but I think it's so interesting that this culture was so proud and accepting of people who didn't fit gender norms that mm-hmm. they had an entire quote unquote third gender yeah that you know okay well you must be a mahu then and here you go live your great life and right. then well as we'll see in a little bit the white people come. It wasn't a thing yeah Note that the Mahu were allowed in the sacred temples is especially important. Hawaiian religions segregated women and forbid them from any spiritual ceremonies and spaces. So the one thing I will say is Hawaiian religion was very sexist but most religions are. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people feel like they got to go that route. It's it's just this male patriarchy of like, in order to assert dominance, we have to say that God made us in charge. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, you didn't need to do that. The Mahu, however, were not classified based on their gender identity or gender expression. A feminine presenting Mahu was just as welcome in the temple as a masculine presenting Mahu. So for the most part, I will say that Mahu has been culturally tied more to trans women or people that would be more feminine. But there were... Uh, masculine presenting people as well. Mm-hmm. These spiritual beings were created much the same way native tribes of America sub- celebrated two-spirit individuals. They were seen as healers with a unique connection to the gods and nature. And though the sexism in early Hawaiian culture was strong, the queer expression flowed freely. As early as the 1400s, it became common practice for men to take other men as sexual partners. This was put in place by ruler Lilola, 
who originated um, a kind, I think it's a kind, male friend relationships. In other words, these resembled countless similar practices around the world. The Greeks were some of the most notorious in Western civilization to engage in same-sex relationships, specifically between young men and older mentors, which we covered definitely in episode one. Don't go listen to that episode, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to redo that one one day, all of them. And just like the Greeks, these relationships could not strictly be compared to the queer romance of today. In these cultures, having sex with one's chief for leader was an honor. The majority of men continued to have sexual relations with women and eventually married, had a family, and then became the mentor to a young follower. All right, I just need to listen because we're going to say this word a couple times and I want to know how to say it. Which one? Akai. Okay, go. So Akane is actually the way that you pronounce it, Akane. And that's important because um, that term is still used today. And again, it's also a word that's been used in a derogatory term. Oh, he's Akane. Um, She's Akane. Um, And it's, again, derogative, maybe close to like homo. But again, Mm -hmm. it wasn't meant that way originally. Now it's used as a derogative term. But yeah, again and again in cultures, like we said, like you see that. And I don't know that I like it, but because it depends on how young you're going. But the older mentor sleeps with his younger man. And and it's one thing if you've got a 25-year-old sleeping with a 45-year-old. It's another thing if you've got a 15, 16-year-old sleeping with you know, a, a 25 or 30 or 40 mm-hmm. year old. So that I don't like, but you know, that's, that is rooted in, in all civilizations, mm-hmm. most civilizations. I shouldn't say they all, but many civilizations. Um, so for over 1000 years, the islands of Hawaii thrived and grew while the Mahu led the way as healers and guides that all changed in the arrival of Christian missionaries in the early 1800s which I thought this is going to be a while because we've already been filled, but one of our LGBTQ villains is going to be missionaries. A like, surprise. Right? Like, <laughs> look at look at the, the Native Americans. Look at, you know, the Hawaiians. Uh, just like one area of another. Like everyone's fine. We're getting along in the Everybody's the doing great. I mean, other than the um, sexism, but mm-hmm. like, you know, queer people are living freely. Everybody's just expressing themselves. And yeah, there's some downfalls, but to like uh, the other parts of the religion, but as a whole, everybody seems to be getting along for the most part. Yeah, and then the missionaries. I mean, even in Romans, even in the Bible, you can see it where like the Romans, like the missionaries, Paul was his name, Apostle Paul showed up and was like, oh, you guys think you can just sleep with each other? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just (laughs) like they're constantly showing up to ruin something. European colonizers first landed on the island around 1778 when Captain James Cook stopped by one of the islands for supplies. He continued to use the islands as a fueling point and for personal exploration over the next year. When two of Cook's lifeboats were stolen by natives, Cook attempted to kidnap the Hawaiian king. It's real dramatic. It's a real escalation, (laughs) too. It's like, not like what the fuck, man. <laughs> it's not like okay, they stole two lifeboats. Let's go loot something. It's like right? let's take the whole king of the yeah, whole island. We're taking your king. Okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is your issue? <laughs> this resulted in Cook's death, and for a brief time, it appeared the white colonizers had been chased away. Yet they returned, and a few years later, uh, they returned a few years later, and in 1793, the British attempted to establish an alliance with the Hawaiian king. Kamehameha? Kamehameha. I think that's what Kamehameha. they say on Dragon Kamehameha. Ball Z. Oh, really? Well, Kamehameha. Maybe that's where it came from. I think we think that's the thing. Is 1793. 
23 years later in 1816, the British flag was planted as a symbol of English rule. It didn't take long for Christian missionaries to arrive and save the lost heathens of the new colony. The lost souls. How will we save them? What? I just, I don't know if I'll ever get colonization again. Just the idea of just showing up where there's a group of people and be like, this seems we're, good. This is us now. It's um, like we're, walking, we're moving into, in. <laughs> walking into the middle of a family that's having a picnic with your own picnic basket and being like, this seems good to me. And you just like lay out your, and everybody around you is having a barbecue and they're enjoying yourself and you're just smoothing out your yep. blanket. Like, this and then is they're, mine. Then they're like, um, can you leave? And then you're like, how dare you? And you're then like, you kill them all. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, um, can you bring me a plate of food? <laughs> yeah. And then they all say, um, no, you're not welcome here. Can you please leave? And then you're like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to kill you. Uh, but, uh, and then you call your friends <laughs> and then all your friends come and kill everybody. And then you're like, wow. Nobody was here before. This is such a great place. Exactly. Look at we made we created this place. <laughs> You're grilling on their grill and eating their food. Liter- this is all ours. Literally what it's like. That is colonization. Now you know, kids. Mm-hmm. By 1820, the Ten Commandments were adopted into Hawaii Hawaiian law, along with the slew of other rules that stripped the Mahu of any political or social power and began to create a stigma around their identity. In 1850, the first anti-sodomy laws were passed, which erased the tradition of Akane. Akane of Akane and forced all same-sex relationships to go underground. These laws further placed oppression on the Mahu as the white missionaries conflated gender identity and gender expression with sexual orientation. English sodomy laws served in conjunction with Hawaiian laws until the 1890s. This meant that if there was a direct conflict between the two laws, the Hawaiian version would win out. However, since same-sex relationships and Mahu people had never been a problem in Hawaiian culture, there was no laws on the books to progress to protect LGBTQ natives. Right. And that's a, even a, th- a method that's still used today, right? Like you mm-hmm. never put a law that says we need to protect this group of people because you don't need to. And then this other group comes in and says, well, we're going to pass a law that discriminates. And so yep. you're like, well, so and so when you ask, like, why do we need all these laws to protect people? Because other assholes will come in and they'll try to take your rights Religious away. Religious freedom laws and all kinds exactly. of ridiculous. They'll, they'll hide it with a different name to pretend like they're protecting their rights. But mm-hmm. in reality, they're just oppressing other people. Right, exactly. And also, and then again, that conflation, like, so being Mahu didn't really have much to do with the fact, it really didn't have anything to do with whether you were a, a, a Kane, a Kani. Mm-hmm. Wow. And whether or not you were a Kani. But... You, but I mean, you could be like again, but this is a third gender. It's just a different. You can do whatever the concept. fuck you want, which is how it should fucking be. Exactly, you're in between. You don't, you don't fall into the lines of a Connie. And in and a Connie relationships, we're really more about like a, again a mentor and a younger person, and that is in itself separate from two people of the same gender mm-hmm. being in love. So, anyways, but because they conflated all that together, um, the missionaries like if you were Mahu, you were. Um, prosecuted under anti-sodomy laws. Yep. So by the by 1894, the Hawaiian Islands lost their kingdom status and became the Republic of Hawaii before quickly turning into a U.S. territory in 1898 as a result of Grover Cleveland, who we had, you and I had talked about. We're going to be covering his mm. sister eventually. This was through subversion by the American government that supported rebellions meant to overthrow the kingdom and later the Republic. American colonizers had realized the vast wealth of natural resources available on the islands and large sugar plantations were established by wealthy American businessmen. As capitalism eroded the natural Hawaiian way of trade and business, Christianity further stripped away the culture's religious ties. One leader gave this statement in his proclamation, 
Worship even of idols such as sticks, stones, sharks, dead bones, ancient gods, and all untrue gods is prohibited. There is one God alone, Jehovah. He is a God to worship. The hula is forbidden. The chant, the song of pleasure, foul speech, and bathing by women in public places. I don't know if bathing by women was supposed to be a like a sacred thing or he just threw that in there. Well, maybe they had public... Um, a lot of cultures had public bathhouses when there wasn't a lot of plumbing indoors and people would go bathe there. So maybe he's just talking about one of those. Just throwing, I just didn't know why he threw it in with all the religious stuff. He might have just, because women can't be seen in public like that. You can't show yeah, your... Modesty. You know, yeah, modesty. Yeah. There was also, I didn't add it, but there was also a plant. I think it's Awa. It's a plant. It's not like marijuana, but it is similar and like it helps sedate people and it's like hallucinogenic. Mm-hmm. And that was also forbidden from being planted or harvested. Why, I swear to God, white people always show up and ruin everything. It's, <laughs> really I, it's they're awful. like, you're having fun, you're having freedom, you're expressing yourself. Well, let me show you what Christianity is all about, folks. <laughs> Good thing we're here. <laughs> and we got to save your souls. The Mahu were driven from society and became the outcasts as the island natives died from exposure to illness because white people were fucking dirty and just had dead people lining their streets. <laughs> so they were just bringing disease and death, murder, or enslavement. When white explorers first visited the islands in the late 1700s, there was an estimated 300,000 natives. By 1920, this is 220 years later, there were well, only... really, it was less than that because Cook didn't arrive till 1778. In oh, 1793, yeah. you really have your first major contact. Okay, so let's say about 150 years, roughly, yeah. could give or take. There were only two. There were only 24,000, so that's 276,000 people erased. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. The disenfranchisement of indigenous people began when voting laws required that individuals earn a high income and own land in order to vote. Through this biased approach, white Americans gained control over natives and other communities of color, such as the large Asian population on the islands. So, yeah. So one thing that he we kind of skipped was that like, so Hawaiians were um, pushed into poverty. So you're pushed into poverty, slavery or indentured servanthood or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, all the white wealthy people are in charge. They rewrite Hawaii's constitution and they make it, they, they put these laws in place, which is the same thing that the South did in, in um, creating during the reconstruction era where they made it that, you know, you, well, you can only, um, you know, vote if you own land. Well, black people weren't allowed to own right. land. And then they were allowed to own land. Like, well, you can only vote if you can pass this test. But it was all t- stuff that only white people had been taught. Or, right. you know, you have to be able to read. And black people had never been allowed to go to school. Or they were, were never literally taught not to allowed read. to read. They yeah. were, it was illegal for them to learn to read. So they would, they would create these laws. They're like, they're not racist. It doesn't say in this law that black people can't vote. But you created right. laws. And so the same thing happened mm-hmm. in Hawaii. We're not saying Hawaiians can't vote. We're just saying that you have to earn like 3000 something dollars, have $3,000 in savings, and you have to own land. And Because we want to make sure that the people with the money are making sure that the rules are going around the way uh-huh. that they want so that exactly. they can retain the money. Exactly. And we're not even going to get into the abuses of the, the sugar plantations and the rebellions that happened. I mean, Hawaii has... A very a incredible history. It's sad, um, but like it's great. But we're not getting into all that. So, um, the oh, but also um, remind remembering that there was a large Asian population right. there too, of course, because um, you know there was. I think there was one island that the majority of um, people were Japanese. David know? said there was a lot of Japanese people yeah. in Hawaii too. Yeah. So the discrimination of the Mahu and all transgender people reached a peak in 1959 when laws on the main island, Oahu, which is where Honolulu, the capital is, required transgender women to wear labels that identified them as men. 
Um, this final insult launched a revolution in Hawaii's queer community, along with a statewide resurgence to bring back Hawaii's culture. With this new push for reform came new terms and understanding that, of what the mahu had become. Over the last 100 years, the term mahu became a derogatory word for any gay man or transgender woman. Today, especially on the larger island of Oahu, many regard the word as offensive and it is used interchangeably as a description of sex workers. However, in many of the smaller islands, such as Tahiti, some have reclaimed the role of mahu. They are seen once again as spiritual leaders who preserve the island's cultures and traditions. Other identified by the word mahuahin, uh, trans woman, or mahukane, trans man. And those who do not serve as spiritual leaders or do not see their gender identity in those terms identify as ho'owahin or ho'okane. Today, queer Hawaiians work to restore the queer roots of the state's heritage. Several organizations have been started and progress and progress is being made. But there is a piece of history that will never fully be reclaimed. Yeah. And so and again, so it's all about how you identify today, because as we've evolved in our gender identities, there are people that so the mahu today are still seen as spiritual leaders. But there you also have transgender people that mm-hmm. wouldn't go into that role or wouldn't fit into right. that role. So we evolved on and you have also, you know, non-binary Hawaiians, genderqueer Hawaiians. So there's um, a lot of other terms that can be used. So it depends on it's not just how you identify in your gender. It's also how you are seen as a person, right. you know? Um, so again, a very, a very spiritual term that is really exclusive to Hawaiian culture. Right. Um, your recommended resources are the queer library resource list, which can be found at the Manoa university library page or linked on our script. You can also check out lgbthawaii.com for more information. And if you would like to read the paper by Alirdo Zingahili, Zinghin, Zenghalini, Alerto Zenghalini, oh my God, on the sodomy laws and gender variants in Tahiti and Hawaii that is also linked in our script. And I know that the paper doesn't sound interesting, but I found it very interesting. And basically what he argues is that um, he argues about how the anti-sodomy laws made Hawaii so anti-queer, like stripped it from its queer culture Mm -hmm. and made it so anti-queer. And it's actually a very good paper and it it is freely accessible. It's kind of heartbreaking to think about how accepting and loving, and I don't want to diminish the fact that a lot of cultures had violence and all kinds of things within them as well, but the fact that these cultures prior to white man arriving, including, you know, even Greek cultures and things like that, um, were so accepting and you weren't an outcast just for who you loved. Mm -hmm. comforting and heartbreaking at the same time because you know then you just see religion come and wipe that all out across the entire world pretty much they really did i mean that that is one of the biggest things that colonization i mean colonization took so many things from people it took their cultures it took their identities and then that it took away queer identity and it tried to gaslight us into believing then that queerness was unnatural like you you ripped it away from all these countless cultures and then tried to make us believe that we're unnatural when right. you had to kill people just to make your ideas quote unquote common. Right. And you silenced everybody and pushed them into the closet. And once again, we're out. Yeah. And I hope that this podcast can help people find comfort and hopefully help prevent the pushback that's currently happening to push queer people back into the closet. Yes. Keep fighting. Be aware of what's going on. Get involved. Check out that list of resources if you 
live in Hawaii or you visit Hawaii or if you live even on the West Coast because a lot of the resources are also, you know, um, the West Coast is really tied to that mm -hmm. whole region as well. So um, there's a lot of good resources on there. And above all, Stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. A little succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors and the IFB, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.